Well, it's Monday night. You had a first full day at camp. Are you having fun? Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad we're here for you to have fun and everything that goes along with that. Now, tonight, as I said last night, last night I talked to you about the importance of putting balance in your life and boundaries in your life. And we talked about how that boundaries are so absolutely important. Everything in life you're going to face. As you grow up in school, you have places you can go, places you can't go. Things you can do, things you can't do. There's boundaries. Boundaries are a way of life. And when it comes to the Christian life, boundaries are absolutely vital for you to understand and have into your life. And tonight I want to start with showing you some things about yourself, where in life you are really at. Now, in the Bible, we have all kinds of men and women and all those things in there, and they're in the Bible for, for many different reasons. Historically, they're real people. They lived, they, they actually, stories actually happened, and they're in there uh, as an account of history. From a prophetic application, sometimes we call that the doctrinal, uh, they represent what we call types. Types of Christ, types of the Antichrist, types of nations. And as you study your Bible, as you grow, you'll learn those and you'll see those. But then there's the, what we call the practical application. And uh, though that application is so that we can see ourselves. You know, many times the things that we go through, the reason why we get swaddled up in them is because we don't understand that the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who struggled with the same things that you all struggle with. And really the way that you learn how to overcome what you're going through is to understand what they went through. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11, 12, and 13, it says in the Old Testament, and throughout the Bible, all those things that they went through, they happened to them so we could learn from them. Bible says for our admonition. The Bible says there are examples and there are examples. And an example is something that you do, but an example is something you are. So we can see how that Bible opens itself up. Now, Daniel, that's who we're focused on. Daniel was one of those men in the Bible or boys in the Bible who experienced some things that exactly what you're experiencing. Daniel, as I said last night, was just about your age. We don't know for sure how old he was, but certainly he was a teenager. He wasn't in his 30s or his 40s. He was a young man, just like uh, some of you young men are and the same age as some of you young ladies. And he, like you, was in the springtime of his life. Now, the Bible lays out the cycle of life on planet Earth. And there's four cycles to it. Now, I know, I know, that don't mean anything to most of you right now. When I talk about the cycle of life, you're thinking of Harley Davidson or Kawasaki. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your life breaks down into four segments. Right now, you're in the springtime of your life. As you get a little older, you enter into the summertime of your life. When you get any older than that, you, what size shoe do you wear? 
I'd give that to my grandpa. Oh, you're going to give them to your grandpa? He was in the Go up and get something for yourself. That is so sweet. Going to give it to his grandpa. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. What is grandpa like? I don't know. He just likes shoes and stuff because he doesn't know. This is for your grandpa. What do you like? This is for you. You want a backpack? You want a water bottle? You want a nightlight for camp? How about the series The Pacific? I'm going to get you a jacket. Go get your jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get your jacket. Here, you finish the sermon. I'm going to go get me a jacket too. Daniel is right where you guys are at. The springtime of your life. And then you get into the summer. Yeah, that looks good. Oh, let me show you something about that before you sit down with that. It's a general. Oh, yeah, this is the real deal. See that? That's a special forces patch. That's my old outfit. He was a sergeant. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not my jacket. He had his jump wings. He's got a master jumper. That's, of course, his U.S. Army. And these here is his, in other words, he trained with the Israelis at some point, and he earned his Israeli jump wings. So you got it, buddy. You picked a good one there. Just take that home. We'll bill you at the end of the month. No problem. (laughs) Then you move into the fall of your life. And then you get where we're at, Herb. The winter time of your life. Bible says, Psalms 90, three score and 10. You're going to be 80 this year, right? Yeah, Yeah, see, you're, you're eight years overdue. I'm three years overdue. But when you get to the winter time of your life, now, him and I are kind of an exception to it, but most people are down at John Knox Village and down in Sarasota, Florida at the retire- dinosaur graveyard retiring. Because you can't do what you used to do when you were young. And that's the key. Right now, you're in the springtime of your life. Daniel's in the springtime of his life, just as you are. And we see that this is where the devil will try to take over your life. This is where it happens. You know, in life, you're going to build, we talk about strongholds, you know, and we always use them in a bad connotation, you know, you know, satanic strongholds and all those things. But in, in reality, there's two strongholds that you have the ability to build in your life. Yeah, one of them is the devil's stronghold. If you want to see the example of that, it's 2 Samuel chapter 5. There's a great story there how that the Jebusites, who were the enemies of God, they had taken Jerusalem. And they had kicked the Jews out of Jerusalem, and that was their stronghold. Now, the nation of Israel (coughs) could do nothing for God without being in Jerusalem. And as long as the Jebusites held Jerusalem, the nation of Israel could never do what God called them to do. So in that chapter, you find David. And David does five things to break that stronghold to get God back into Jerusalem. Tremendous study. It shows you how that if you have a satanic stronghold in your life, it's the same five things that you have got to do. So yeah, there is a satanic stronghold out there that wants to get you. But at the same time, the Bible talks about the Tower of David. The Bible talks about building a strong wall in Isaiah 28. You can either build a stronghold for the the devil, or you can build a stronghold in your life for God. It's going to be one or the other. You can't be neutral in the beginning. You got the Tower of David. 
You've got, uh, you've got the strong tower. You've got the high tower in Psalms. Those are, those are pictures of somebody getting the word of God, building it into their life, and then building the walls up of Bible teaching and Bible doctrine that protects them from what's coming your way. So you're going to have one or other stronghold in your life. You're either going to leave here and build a stronghold for God, or you're just going to stay where you're at and have one for the devil. But you're going to have one or the other. In the life of Daniel, laid out in the book of Daniel will be the story and the picture of where we begin with this. So let's read. Turn over to Daniel chapter 1, if you would, and let's read Daniel chapter 1 and, and uh, come down through here for a little bit, and then we'll talk about some things. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, under Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, uh, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Azpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had the ability to them to stand in the king's palace, for whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Haniah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave name, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, uh, and to Haniah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Bendigo. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these kids that are here tonight. We thank you, Father, for each one as they have come to camp. We know we got a lot of work to do, and we know, uh, aside from all the fun things, that there's a war going on and a battle over these kids. And we pray tonight, Father, that Holy Spirit of God, that you'd walk down these aisles, that you would uh, take the counselors and take the people that are working with them and the staff and everybody, and Lord, help us to help them. Help them with their preaching with Herb in the morning and me at night. Lord, take it and use it in these kids' lives. And we'll thank you and praise you for everything you're going to do. Keep us clean tonight. Put us under the blood. Forgive us where we have failed thee. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now there's some things here that we need to look at to define to make this story work for us. First of all, we have Babylon here. Babylon in our story, for you, is going to be a picture of the world system. It's the most corrupt nation probably in the history of the world. I can't even tell you how corrupt and ungodly it all is. 
And so when we read about Babylon, when Daniel connected to it, being taken to Babylon, we're looking at a picture for you of the world system that wants to change you just like it wanted to change Daniel. Then we have Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon in history. But in our story of inspirational, how it applies to you, he's a picture of the devil. And Babylon is his kingdom. It's his world. And he orchestrates through that all the wickedness and the evil that he can portray uh, to put into the world. And Babylon is running the world as we speak during this time period. Then you have the Hebrew children, typified by Daniel. They're going to be a picture of the New Testament Christian. Daniel is a picture of every one of you young men and young ladies here that are in the springtime of your life. And you now are going to be faced with the same things that Daniel was faced with. And this is where we learn. This is where you get everything that you need so that when you leave here, you have a fighting chance to be everything that God wants you to be. Now look at verse 3 and 4 here for a moment. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar sends Aspenaz to bring children of the king's seed. Children of the king's seed will be the kids that are in the line of Jesus Christ. In other words, Daniel, if you go down through his lineage as it goes down through history forward, he is in the line of Christ. And the devil wants to stop that line. So he calls for children of the king's seed, people who are in the kingly line that is going to run down, that is going to, in time, bring forth the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does he do that? He wants to stop by destroying the line of Christ from these kids ever fulfilling what God wanted to do to bring Christ into this world. And if you're saved tonight, if you were born again, you too, spiritually, are of the king's seed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says that you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. And you tonight, spiritually, if you're saved, you're of the king's seed. And in your life, he wants to destroy you spiritually, your line. Because just like physically, Daniel was in the line of Christ and would have brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. In your life, if you're saved, you're going to have kids, they're going to have kids, and your line is going to go on in a spiritual sense of producing young men and young ladies in your family. They get saved, and the heritage of the Lord and the ministry and the gospel just keeps going. He wants to stop that. He wants to stop that with you just like he wanted to stop Daniel bringing in the line of Christ. Then I want you to see this. He says that these kids were without blemish. That's a picture of, of you as a Christian. Exodus chapter 12 says that the, the lamb that had to be brought that night for the Passover sacrifice had to be without blemish. It's a picture of Christ. Well favored like Christ in Song of Solomon chapter 5. Skilled in all wisdom. They knew the five wisdom books in the Old Testament. Understood science. They understood Job and they understood Genesis. Somebody had taken these kids 
back in Israel at some point and had been taught through Old Testament Judaism to be a separate people and to take their stand for God. In other words, somebody taught them some boundaries. These kids back here in Daniel 1, Daniel in particular, he's the best that Israel had at this point in time. And you know what? In our church right now, you have the potential to be the best that we could ever have. You're young, you're smart, you haven't got your life all cluttered up yet. You're at a point in your life where if you will make the right choices and set some boundaries in your life, you too can be a Daniel. But it's going to take some things. Daniels don't run off an assembly line. Christians don't either. I learned a long time ago in building a church, there's no program that can do it. There's no fast track to it. If you're going to build a church, you've got to build it one family at a time. One person at a time. And that's what this camp is all about. You have your counselors here. You have the people here that want to take the time to build you one at a time. And that's where you're at today. That's where you're at. They are the best that Israel had, but now they have been taken captive by a godless Babylonian world that is corrupt in every way, that wants to get them to stand for the devil instead of taking a stand for God. And you know what? That's the real issue this week. When you leave here Thursday morning, you're going to have the decision you're going to have to make. And you say, well, I won't make one. Then you already made it. You're either going to leave here and stand for God and be determined to do that, or you're going to leave here just the way you are, and you're going to take your stand for Babylon. It's just that simple. Now, I want to show you what's headed your way. Probably in most of your cases, it's already here. But I want to show you and try to help you understand what you are up against. Now take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Now I know Jared and his, and his counselors brought you through this already and uh, taught about the old armor of God. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to duplicate that. I'm sure you got the notes down, but I want to show you something else here. Now it starts out in 6.1 and it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up to, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. For fear and trembling in singleness of your heart is unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may uh, be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Now, I want you to notice that when he talks, get down through here and he talks about you and I taking a stand, it gives you four aspects to that stand. Uh, most guys teach it, most guys read it, most people read it, they just think stand, 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 stand. They don't ever see the difference between the four. The first thing he says is you need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What does that mean? It means that the de- wiles means crafty. It means uh, subtle. It means uh, behind the scenes. It means trickery. And the first thing that you got to understand is how the devil operates. You get a good look at this when you look at how he operates with Daniel. This is my point. I want you to be able to see how he comes at these kids. The wiles that he uses, the craftiness that he uses. Because if you don't understand it, when it comes your way, you're not going to be able to recognize it. The second thing he says, he says that you may be able to to stand. And then he says in verse 13, to withstand. You see, once you learn the wiles of the devil, how he's going to attack you, when the attack comes, now you're able to withstand. That's the attack. Now the third aspect he says... Having done all to stand. Have you? You see, that takes the preparation for it all. That's in your high school class and in your Timothy class. Taking the things that the counselors and Jared and Jamie and Danny and all the singles give you. That is, that is where you, you get the, the information that you need. That's where you get the uh, uh, practice that you need. That's where you get the, the, how to use everything that you're learning. That's where you get to the point where you, you, get, your, uh, you get it all down. You, you do all to stand. Everything you got to do. And then what does he say? The fourth thing. After those three are done, what does he say? Stand therefore. You know what this is about? It's about building a fortress in your life. We sang it tonight. Hold the fort for I am coming. You need a fortress in your life. And that fortress is what's going to keep you from falling and help you stand in everything that God wants you to do. That fort has walls. It has high towers. The high towers are up there so you can look out there being 80, 90 feet in the air and you can see what's coming a long way before it gets here. Those are the things you need to have in your life as a Christian. Foresight, long sight. You need to be able to see what's coming your way long before. You need to understand the wiles of the devil before you have to withstand it. Four aspects to your stand. Now, what do you stand against? That's a good question. You'll find that answer in verse 13. 
you stand against the evil day. The evil day is the day that you have to stand alone, kids, and it's coming. Maybe it's already in your life. Maybe you've already failed. Maybe you've already faced it. You're still standing. Praise the Lord if you are. But the evil day is the day that you have to stand alone where you don't have your mom and dad there to help you anymore. Your Sunday school teacher or the people that work with you are not around you. You're on your own. And you'd better know how to withstand and you better have done all to stand and understand the wiles of the devil or you will fall. Now your stand, simply put, is how you will conduct yourself when nobody sees. How you conduct yourself when you get to school with your friends that your mom and dad don't hear the conversations. Or around your friends, no matter who they may be. That you go over their house or they go do something with them and they say, hey, let's go do this. And nobody will know. Chances are you're not going to get arrested. Chances are your mom and I'm not going to find out. The only one that will know will be God. And now you will be faced with staying in bounds. Now you will be faced with the choices that you make that will be good ones or bad ones. And these choices, when nobody sees, will define who you really are. It's easy here, isn't it? You get out of line here, your counselors will crack you alongside the head. Well, what about Thursday afternoon? What about when you get home and the old friends call up on the phone and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's go do this. What are you going to do that? That's when your evil day shows up. Believe me, kids, and I know you're young. Young kids have a tendency not to believe us old guys. But I'm telling you, it's a whole different world out there when you're out there on your own. I see it in the guys that I've turned out over the years in my ministry. And just in Kansas City tonight, you know, my whole life been teaching young men and young ladies and training them for the ministry. And probably in Kansas City, I don't know, 30, 35 men who are pastoring or working in churches that came out of my ministry over the last 50 years. Some of them are, you would know their names if I told you them. They're very well known in this city, running churches of two, three, four thousand. Some of them, uh, you know, you wouldn't know. But uh, I've had a life here of over 50 years that I did what I say I always do. I invested in men and women. And you know what? Every one of them got the Bible and got the training the same way. I came to Kansas City in 1977. And uh, from 1978 up to the day, which today I've had a Bible Institute going uh, to train men and women in the Word of God. I've had a Thursday night Bible study where they could ever ask questions. I had an open-door policy, as I do with you. Anybody can go over, and I'll help them put the Bible together. Everybody got the same. 
And, uh, you know, it's a thing where um, everybody got the same teaching, the same training, the same things about the Bible, manuscript evidence, church history, doctrinal things, the seven mysteries, the seven judgments, the whole nine yards. And every one of them got the book and trained the same way. And you know what? Not all of them are doing good. Some dumped the King James Bible. Some are teaching heresy. I know one guy that came out of my ministry, he doesn't even believe there's a rapture anymore. Some are in total apostasy. You go to the Sunday morning church services, it looks like a, a Super Bowl halftime show. Dancing girls on the stage. I know one church that, uh, that uh, a guy that runs it's out of my ministry, he has women baptizing people. Many are still solid. Many are still holding the book and, and doing a great job. Most of them. But you've got to ask yourself, how did that happen? Why is that? I remember talking to Dr. Ruckman one time, years and years ago, and because Ruckman turned out some really good guys, but he turned out some goofies too. And I told him, I said, Brother Pete, I said, let me ask you something. I said, you know this guy up here? Uh, he was a real weirdo. And uh, Pete said, yeah, yeah, I know him. And I said, uh, what's the story with him? And he looked at me and he says, you know what, Brother Bob, I'm going to tell you right now. When it comes to training out men, I do the best I can. I give him the, and he does, brother, because I know his material. But he says, I don't bat a thousand. You know why? Nobody does. And I learned a great lesson from that. It answered so many questions for me, and it's the point that I'm trying to make for you tonight. I trained these guys, gave these guys everything that you guys get. I invested my life in them, and some of them, the moment they left, dumped the book. You know what happened? Somebody come in their world and tried to tell them that they knew more about it than I did, and I didn't know what I was talking about. There was a guy that showed up that had this great theory of why the King James Bible wasn't the Word of God. And these guys fell for it. Some of them wanted a fancy program to, I, I know one guy, I know one guy that had a church of, of, uh, of, oh, I don't know, he probably had a church of a thousand people. A big church in Raytown uh, went belly up. And the guy that was one of the head deacons there uh, had about 2,000 people that were following him. He went to this kid out of my world and he says, look, your church is running 1,000. I'll bring 2,000 people into your church next Sunday. Two things. I get a job and we dump the Bible, King James Bible. And you know what? He took it just like that. You know why? 3,000 people in church was more important than the book you got in your hands. You know what my thing is? You can all go home as far as I'm concerned. I'm keeping the book. I'm staying with the book. You say, well, we're all leaving. Hey, God will bring more. I never worry about that. When you sell out the word of God so you can have a crowd of people, and I'll tell you, those crowd of people wasn't very high caliber people on top of it. I'm telling you, I learned a great lesson. I watched those things. I scratched my head for years, and I finally figured it out. And I'm going to tell you the point. You know what? I can give you the word of God. I can teach you everything that I know. 
But the real definition of who you are is what you do when your evil day comes in the ministry and you have to stand by yourself. That's your true test, kids. It's my true test. I was offered a chance, I don't know how many years ago, Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, the Mecca. What wasn't it back in the day? That was ABC Henderson and all those guys, J. Frank Norris's church. A pastor went up there to take over that church, offered me an unbelievable. He says, I'll give you a Sunday school class of 2,000 people. You can do whatever you want to do with it. And I thought to myself, absolutely not. You know why? God called me here. He didn't call me up there. You know where that church is at now? Nobody knows where it's at now. Gone. Not even in existence anymore. And I'm telling you, kids, the real test of your character, the real test of every one of you, isn't going to be here at this week at camp. It's going to be when your evil day comes Thursday afternoon. What are you going to do with what you have been taught when now you're faced with being on your own and you can make your own choices? Hey, I love those guys, man. My heart weeps. Some of my older people, you know exactly who I'm talking about. A couple of those guys were the most natural preachers I ever had. Gone. Gone. Why? Same reason some of you will be gone. It all comes down to what you're going to do when you're faced all by yourself to do right or do wrong. That was Daniel. And Daniel said... I have purposed in my heart that I'll not defile myself with the king's meat. And that's it. And to stand and to withstand the evil day, you must first do all to stand, whatever it takes. Last Sunday, I laid out for your parents five key areas that I was going to really put into your world this week and I wanted to put into their world too so they would know and I told them about Daniel and I'm going to come back this next Sunday and tell about how everything went and give them a debrief on it and show them where I'm at so they can be on the same page with you but I want you like Daniel to leave here with a purpose in your heart that you're going to do what God wants you to do and I told your parents and I'm giving it to you Five basic things of life. Number one, you already heard me say this, that life will be about the choices you make. Life is not complicated. Life is not hard. You don't have to make bad choices in this church. You have people all around you 24-7 who will help you once we leave here. You're young and you're vulnerable. The devil wants to stop you in, in the springtime of your life. We all know where John Knox Village is. John Knox Village is a retirement home for, for very old people. I'm not there yet. But I have ordered my gym shoes with the Velcro straps on them. That is not here yet. You know, I've been in Kansas City since 1977. I don't think they ever had a drug bust at John Knox 
I don't think the independent SWAT, or the, at least some SWAT team kicked down anybody's door, got those old pokes lined up in the hallway, cuffed them, took them down for selling drugs. Nobody has to call the police because you got all this rock and roll music coming out down the hallways from these places. The only thing, you walk down there, there are no hallways, it's dead silence. You might hear a little Willie Nelson coming out from under the door. You know why? You boys preach in the rest homes. There's no drug rings in those rest homes. There's no great sin going on in those rest homes. You know why? Those people are in the wintertime of their life. They don't pose any threat to the devil. He's not going to go after them. He already has them. He's going after you. In the springtime of your life, you pose the threat. Right now in this room, I guarantee you, if everybody in this room from this point forward did what was right, married the right person, had the right family, in a hundred years, you could win the whole world to Christ. But that ain't going to happen. You know why? Somebody will talk you out of it. You'll get a better deal. Oh, I know how it works, man. The second thing, we are who we associate with. We like to call it peer pressure. You want to get along, so you go along. Because you want to be accepted. Because you get ostracized if you don't, and people, you know, the kids at your age group, they make an outcast, they make fun of you, they laugh at you, and you don't like that because you're, you're tender-hearted and it, you, you want to be accepted. I understand that. That kind of stuff never bothered me. If the whole world was marching this way, I'd be marching this way, moving them out of the way. You got to come to the place in your life where you don't go with the majority. God's people have always been the minority. Anywhere in that Bible, when it comes to the nation of Israel and the whole world who hates them like they're real Christians, they're always God's remnant. And wherever you're at, you got to understand, you're God's remnant. And you're not going to get along with the world. I was at a camp years and years ago, Camp Chaff, and they had this gal who was a great, she could have been a movie star. I mean, she sang wonderfully, and she, she had all kinds of record contracts that they wanted her to do that. She gave it all up because she was a, a, a really a dedicated Christian. She gave her testimony one night, and I was standing there after she did it, and one of the girls came up, and she says, oh, that was so wonderful. She said, I, you know, I would just give the whole world to have that kind of testimony. You know what that girl said to her? She says, you know what? That's exactly what it cost me. The whole world. He's going to come after you. I'm telling you. The moment your mom and dad picks you up on Thursday and you drive out that gate, he's going to be waiting for you right outside that gate. Don't you ever doubt it. Put people in your life that are going to make you better. Be careful who you find for a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I don't know how many times I've seen some young gal find some guy. And, you know, one of them told me one time, you know, oh, this is just like the book of Ruth. He's my Boaz. 
And after they got married, he wasn't Boaz, he was lazy as. He was dumb as. He was, I don't want to work as. He wasn't Boaz. You need to be careful who you hook up with for the rest of your life. One bad choice and a spouse can cancel you out for the rest of your life for the Lord. You have to be a team. You have to be a team. Be careful with the kids you associate with. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, evil communications corrupt good manners. And you are who you associate with. The third thing I told your mom and dad, I'm telling you, you can't fix problems with the same thinking that caused those problems. One of my goals this week is to get you to quit thinking the way you thought coming into camp. And the way we do that is two great verses. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The other one is 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Who hath known the mind of the Lord and may instruct him. And then it says that we have the mind of Christ. In your lap today, you have the Bible that's the mind of God, the mind of Christ, that has everything the way Christ thinks it should be for you to put it into your life. You know, Baptists get traditionally, and I've heard it all my life in my ministry, you know, you're a cult, you're a cult. You're brainwashing people, you're brainwashing people. Well, you know what? I'm not a cult, but I am in the brainwashing business. We all need our brains washed by washing of regeneration of the word of God. You need to get your mind washed out of what's in it. I mean, it's just that simple. And you know how you get clean? You get clean the same way you do laundry. You, you got a bunch of dirty clothes. That's you. You put it in a washing machine. Add water. That's the word of God. Put a little soap in it. But you know what? You just put your clothes in a washing machine and you know you just let the, put the water in there and step back. It ain't gonna get clean. You know what you gotta do? You gotta push the button. And you know what happens when you push the button? The agitator kicks in. It kicks those dirty clothes left and right. If we just brought you to camp and just talked nice to you, had fun. You see, I'm the agitator. I kick you six ways from Sunday with the word of God. And sometimes when you have real stubborn stains, you get that bottle over here off the shelf. And you know what you have to do? Shout it out! To get clean. It's up here. Problem's not in your feet, not in your hands. Problem's in your mind. And this week, I want to brainwash you. Absolutely. I want you to quit thinking like the world and start thinking like the Lord Jesus Christ and wash out your mind. My mother, when I do things wrong, she used to say, Bobby, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. Well, I appreciate that. But that wasn't the problem, wouldn't solve my problems. Soap in my mouth wasn't going to fix anything. What needed to be washed was up here. And that's where you're at. Then the fourth thing. You only get out of something what you're willing to put into it. If you leave here and you don't come to youth group, you don't get involved, you don't make Jared and his crew uh, part of your life, if you don't get into Timothy and help them and do everything they need to do, you ain't going nowhere. I told you that there's two kinds of strongholds. 
And you see the devil's stronghold and you see God's stronghold. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of addiction that goes on in the world. I mean, you got addicted to fentanyl, crack cocaine, heroin, marijuana, all of that stuff. And we always look at that bad. You need to get addicted too. But you need to look at 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and you need to get like the house of Stephanus that was addicted to the ministry. There's nothing wrong with addiction unless it's the right addiction. Just like there's nothing wrong with a stronghold if it's the right stronghold. You know what an addict does? He gets so hooked on his drugs, he goes a day, you know, he can't get a fix. He doesn't have any money. He sold everything he knows to soul. He stole everything he knows. He can't get a fix. And by the end of the night, he's like this. I'll do anything. I just the drugs have got control, and he's just he's just he's just beside himself. He can, he's shaking. He's sweating. He's doing all those things. He needs his fix. He needs his fix. He needs that drug in his vein. He needs his fix. And you know what? As a Christian, I'm the same way. When I get up in the morning, if I don't get in my Bible and get my fix, if I don't get out there and do the ministry, if I don't do what God called me to do, I miss one church service, one Bible study, and I'm like a drug addict and just didn't get a shot. What are you addicted to? See, that's the real question. Somebody addicted to that god-awful music you listen to. Some of you addicted to things you never should be addicted to. I can't, if I get down, I'll never get back up again. I'll have to finish it on my knees, which probably is not a bad idea. What are you addicted to? See, I want, I want you to go out of this camp brainwashed. I want you to go out of here with a stronghold in your life. And I want to turn you into an addict. I went to a, just to find out what they were all about, years ago I went to an Alcoholics Anonymous I joined and went there, and then I went to Narcotics Anonymous and I went there. And um, I was sitting there, you know, and when they go to those things, I wanted to find out, you know, the 12 point programs, it, you know, it's all supposed to be about the Bible, but it's not really. And I, and I just went there, you know, and I was part of it, went through the whole class, got my certificate. And when you get up there, <coughs> I'm always looking for an opportunity to witness. And so I'm up there and they welcome me and we have a new member tonight, Bob Alexander, and would you come up? And when you go up there, you have to start whatever you're saying by admitting you're an alcoholic. Or if you're in narcotics, you have to say, I'm an addict. And they all clap because they look at that as first admitting that you have a problem, which is good. And then, you know, you're on your 12 steps. And they, so they're happy about that. And you're supposed to get up there. So I did. I went up there and I, I was in, 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 in uh, Narcotics Anonymous. And I don't know why they call it Anonymous. I knew everybody's name that was in the place, but that's beside the point. That's like the, you know, things don't make sense to me. In the government, we have the secret service. But if you look in the phone book, they got their telephone number. What is so secret about the service when you put your telephone number in the book? And so, I mean, everybody says, Archaeholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. Hey, Joe, Ralph, Tom, Bill, Mary, nobody, everybody knew everybody. So I got up there and I said, well, thank you for your welcome. And I want you to know, I am an addict. And they all clapped again. And I said, my addiction is to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. And I said, I want to tell you something. If you really want to get out of your addiction, uh, I'm not saying you stop being an addict. 
I said, I'm just telling you, just change drugs. I told him in Alcoholics Anonymous about the base statement. I said, I'm not telling you to stop drinking. I'm just telling you to change bottles. <laughs> you got the Seagram 7 over here, but my Bible says that God's got a bottle for your tears. That's the bottle you need. See? And I'm telling you, I want to send you out of here brainwashed, addicted, and a stronghold in your life. And if you do that, you'll be something special, man. You'll be, you'll be something special. And then the last thing, fifth thing, not the last thing in my message, but the last thing I told your mom. Don't get nervous. We need to learn from our mistakes. We all make mistakes. We need to learn from them. We need to turn our mistakes into a training teaching format. I have learned this. Learning from your mistakes now will keep you from later in life making the big mistakes that you can't recover from. Learn from history. The only thing that men never learn from history is they never learn anything from history and they keep repeating the mistakes. That's God's people. Learn from the mistake that you make. The evil day in Daniel's life was when he faced all by himself with the opportunity to stand for God or stand with Nebuchadnezzar. And honestly, kids, nobody would have blamed him. Nobody would have known. Most folks would say, well, you know, Daniel, you're not, you didn't choose to come here. God put you down here. If I were you, Daniel, I'd just get along as best I could. I'd just meld in, do whatever they ask you to do. Don't make it hard on yourself. And you just need to just do whatever they want you to do and get along as best you can. You're in a tough situation, and you didn't choose to be here. God put you here. So get along as best you can. But see, Daniel had boundaries in his life. Somebody had told him that as a Jew, he was to be separated from the other nations. And they had the word of God that gave him the ability to withstand in his evil day. And he did all to stand. And this week is all about you. Not 45 of you or 60 of you, though I'm preaching to all of you, but God's speaking to each one of you individually. I may speak to you as a group, but boy, that Holy Spirit of God is working through those lines. Listen to the Lord this week. There's some people here that you're doing good. And I want you to keep going good and I want to help you do better. There's some that hear that you know you're not where you need to be. And you need to change some things in your life. You need to change your thinking. You need to change who you hang out with. And you need to set some boundaries. And there's some of you here that you have never been saved. And if you were to die right now at this moment, you don't know for sure you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord. You know, I, a 
was just a little girl that was stung by a bee. You doing okay, honey? A wasp. Yeah. You feeling better? You doing okay? I am so sorry that happened to you. You're such a sweet girl. But you know what it did for me? It brought to remembrance a story, a true story that I heard a long time ago. And I'm sorry you got stung, but it, it may help somebody get saved here when I tell this story. So are you sure you're okay? Okay. Well, we, we go over to the concession stand tonight. I'm going to buy you an ice cream soda. Do we have ice cream sodas over there? I don't know if we do or not. If not, we'll get you a new car. We'll get you something. This little girl was walking with her dad in the backyard. They had a beautiful garden. And they were walking back there and they were just having fun and beautiful flowers. And you know how little kids are. The little girl was down there and she was touching all the flowers and the dad was right there by her side and he saw this bumblebee that was on his flower that the girl didn't see. And the, guy, the girl went to reach for this flower and the dad reached in and grabbed the flower and the bee stung him. And she said, Daddy, she said, Daddy, she says, that bee didn't sting me. And Daddy says, that's all right, honey. He stung me. My father took the sting out of my death. In the garden of God, he took the sting that was supposed to be mine. And now tonight I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven all because my father took the sting out of death. And I'm gonna tell you tonight, kids, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, don't let that sting affect you any longer. You can take the time to get with God, with your counselor, and God will take everything that was the whole world wants to sting you with out of your life. And you now will be able to have the boundaries that will help you, like last night, not only just seek the Lord, but find the peace and the happiness that he wants for you and then ultimately find the Lord.